Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. Um, we are continuing our look at the Sermon on the Mount. We're now in uh, the, the latter part of chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, cha- verses 25 to 34. Hopefully we'll get them all done today. This is actually, and has been for a very long time, one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. Um, it, it brings me comfort in ways that, that initially it did not. Um, I really thought that maybe as a measure of my Christianity, this was, this was revealing that my Christianity was not very deep. And that was absolutely true at the time um, that I'm speaking about and thinking about in my life. Um, it, I don't know why this, this has always been one of those passages for me that really just hits me between the eyes. And, and over the last, say, 30 years-ish, um, it, it's become... Again, one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, it just, it, it now brings me comfort and reminds me of, of truth. Um, but that's because I've been through a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, we've been through a lot of things in our lives, and, and we've learned that over all that time that God is trustworthy and that he is good. And, and those are important things to know. And, and this, this speaks to both God's goodness and his greatness. Because, again, as I said a couple of days ago, one of the central doctrines that, that means more to me than almost any other doctrine about God is that he is, that he is sovereign. But that, that's only a comforting doctrine because he's good. And, and I recognize, and I've had to lay down thoughts on a whole lot of things over you know, the course of those 30 years that, that I honestly don't know what is good because there's been so many things that happened in my life that I initially really thought were not good at all that ended up being the best thing in the world for me. Um, it, it ended up being exactly the right thing, you know? And so that, that's the, the ability to leave it with him and leave the outcome to him is the only thing that I've learned to do. <laughs> and I'm not good at it all the time. I'll confess that, that there, there are plenty of times in my life when I'm still anxious, even though Jesus says, and, and I want you to understand the first word here is therefore. And so, it, it, but it, that comes on the heels of this teaching on how you practice your religion by giving to the needy, by prayer, by fasting, and by, by not laying up treasures on earth, but laying in heaven. So Jesus has given the advice on how to live as a Christian, how to think as a Christian, and how to practice your Christianity in, in, in the ways of giving, in the ways of uh, prayer, and in the ways of fasting. And so now he comes to the end of that. He says, therefore. So I, I've told you all these things. I've, I've given you assurance that there is reward if you do these things the right way. I've given you assurance that God knows your needs before you even ask for them. And and therefore, he sees you and he hears you. He knows your situation. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What you eat or what you'll drink nor about your body, what you'll put on, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? I mean, he's just shown that in the temptation, right, that men... uh, lives not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so here he's saying that very thing. Don't worry about all this stuff. Life is about more than all those earthly materialistic things. 
And when I say materialistic, I don't mean sort of the desire for more and more and more. I mean literally in a material way <laughs> that your life is about more than the material stuff. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they? You know, it's a funny thing because today it seems like that secular society can't answer that question. Aren't you of more value than they? It seems like secular society actually struggles with that question and wants to elevate animal life to, to a place above human life. But, but Jesus is saying, look, look around you and see that God has it. He's got it all in his hands, and you're of infinitely more worth than the birds of the air. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? He's saying, what good does it do you? What good does that do? There's no benefit. You're not extending your life by worrying about these things. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So again, he, he's raising the value of human life. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He's encouraging us to his radical reliance on God, radical reliance on the Father, and, and he refers to him again as Father, again and again and again. So, he, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So it, it, it goes back to the prayer piece where he says your Father in heaven knows what you need, the one you're praying to, knows what you need before you even ask. He's aware of all these things. And so the, he says Gentiles seek after these things. They're materialists. That, that's their entire religion. And he's right. That, that characterized almost every Near Eastern religion was a, a, a searching for something from the gods, that the gods were disinclined to give them. And so they had to beg the gods. They had to cajole the gods. And so in order to get what they needed... They had to, to make these appeals because th these gods wanted not just worship. They wanted obeisance. They wanted um, ridiculous things from human beings. And, and here Jesus is saying that's how Gentiles act because they can't trust their gods. Their gods aren't good. They're not sovereign. And, and that's a reality. They're not sovereign at all, even if... They're, they're a God over a territory, even if it's the territory that they were given that we see in Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 82 and 86. Even if they have that, they're not sovereign over all things. They are under him. Whatever he allows is what happens in their lives. And so what he's saying is, is that don't be like those people who know some other God or gods and worship those other gods. Don't be like the prophets of Baal who were imploring Baal to rain down fire from heaven and they were dancing and shouting and cutting themselves and doing all those kind of crazy things. No, don't do that. No, in fact, do the opposite of that. Have the faith of Elijah. 
just to be able to say, all right, pour water over everything here. Because the, the task, the, the um, test was, all right, so you build a pyre and I'll build a pyre and then we'll call down fire from heaven. And so they implored their God and nothing happened. And Elijah said, all right, it's my turn. Y'all done gashing yourself and all this other craziness you've been doing over there? Well, good. I'm glad you're done with that. All right, now it's my turn. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to pour water over everything here. And the biggest problem there was there was no water because there had been a, 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 a drought that had gone on for three years. And so Elijah says, pour water over everything. And so they're not only making it harder for God to send down fire from heaven and burn up this pyre that they've created. It's it's not just that. It's also a, a statement of, of his trust in the Lord for water. And so we know that after this, God does indeed bring rain. But And therefore, the, there's a Jewish, um, what do you call it? Not quite a midrash, but a, but a belief, actually, that that in order to raise the boy from the dead, the, the son of the widow of Nain, in order for, for God to do that, then Elijah had to give up the power over the rain. That, that's a Jewish belief. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. I'm just telling you, by and large, a lot of times when I say these things, I'm just explaining to you what rabbis teach. And so that, that's exactly what they teach, is, is that in order for God to do that, God made a deal with him and said, you've got to give me the power to bring rain in order to do that, because God had given him the power to shut up the skies. And so here, Elijah, is, he knows that God will bring rain, because he's going to take mercy on his people. And so he, he, he has them pour out all this water, so much so that it fills a trench around it, and then he prays, and God sends down fire, and instantly this whole thing is consumed and and he had the faith to do that and and that's the way we need to live because the gentiles you when you think the gentiles here the way you should read that essentially is something like um non-christians um people who believe in other gods or no gods and he says don't be like them don't allow yourself to be anxious about all these things that i've just talked about because your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. And, and your willingness to trust him and to not be anxious about these things is a measure of your discipleship. It's a measure of your knowledge of who he is. It's a measure of your trust in him that if you don't allow yourself to be anxious about these things in the belief that, and Jesus tells us it's not just a belief, it's a reality. Your Father, Heavenly Father knows you need these things. So it, that that's where discipleship, at, at, at many, many levels, that's where discipleship, where the rubber meets the road, is if I can get to the place where I can know this and I can absolutely be certain that my Heavenly Father is both good and great, that, that he, he knows that I need these things, He cares about me, and, and that He has the power to give these things, then I can rest. For my labors, I can do exactly what we talked about yesterday from that passage in Ecclesiastes 5, which is to, to enjoy the labor that we have, the fruit of our labor. Live day to day, not trying to live out into the future, but day to day. And day to day, I can always find things to be thankful for, even if 
there are very difficult things happening in my life. I can do that. And so that, that's the call here that Jesus gives is, is to say, trust the Father. Trust him. And he'll provide everything that you need because he knows what you need. In fact, he knows better than you do what you actually need. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So he's telling you about discipleship. First, it's don't be anxious. Don't worry about these things. And he's given us ample reason not to. Look at the birds. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at all these things. You don't have to worry about those things because you who are creating the image of God are of great and infinite worth to the Father. And, and little did they know it. That was Jesus' whole mission, was to show them the depth of the Father's love for humankind, those who were creating his image. He sent one in the image of man to reconcile us, to die on the cross for us, so that we might be reconciled to God, that we might take on his righteousness in exchange for us confessing and giving him our sins. He's showing us that the deepest need, deepest cry of our heart, which is salvation, and the deepest desire of our heart, which is eternal life in a place that's far better, he's already taken care of that. And now I can rest in his love. So Jesus says, okay, so now that we've got that part out of the way, I'm telling you how not to live, right? Don't live in anxiety and worry. And then he goes on to say, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's a hard thing. That's a hard saying because it, 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 we're going to focus on the promise. All these things will be added to you. You know, we're going to jump ahead and, and we're going to think, well, oh, cool. And we're going to seek the kingdom of God for that reason. But Jesus doesn't put it that way. He, he has told us not to seek all these other things because God knows we need them and he'll provide them for us. So he said instead of seeking those things that the Gentiles seek, Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So seek to become more like him. Seek that. He's already told us not to lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. And Now he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what is the first thing, the first petition in the Lord's Prayer is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he says, that's the way to live too. It's not just the way to pray, it's the way to live is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all those other things he says will be added unto you. And so we hear that, and, and we want to put that first. And I've told you this before, C.S. Lewis says that, that if you do that, if you seek those other things first, then, you, then you'll not get the kingdom and you won't get these things. But if you do seek first, then you'll get heaven and earth thrown into the bargain. And so, the, so ultimately, he says the Gentiles seek after these things, but you... Seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will be added unto you. Trust God for those things. Don't seek those things. That's taken care of. Seek after the kingdom and his righteousness in your life, and then God will do these things. And it ultimately ends up, and I can't believe this, but right? I've gotten like nine verses done today. You're probably shocked at that. He says, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient to the day is its own trouble. Deal with what's in front of you today. Don't, don't worry about tomorrow. Because if you do that, you actually won't be very effective in dealing with the things of today. And I know lots of people can get paralyzed over that fear. You know, the, the reason that I did so much counseling back in the day had everything in the world to do with this. 
it had to do with the fear of tomorrow, the fear of this, that, and the other thing. Well, you know, if I've learned anything in my life, it's that I can't change it. You know, I, I, I can't deal with tomorrow's stuff because I don't know what it is. And if I anticipate it, I'm likely to get it wrong. And so the worry that I have in anticipating something bad that might happen tomorrow, you know, it was a difficult thing to live for that year with with Will's situation because you didn't know. You, you We lived on pins and needles all the time, not knowing what was going to happen next. Right? Was he going to have a seizure? Is, is something going to go wrong? Is he going to fall? Is he going to slip? Is he Every bump we heard upstairs, one of us would go charging up the stairs to say, hey, you okay? Yeah, just took my shoes off and dropped them on the floor. Yeah, well, it's it's a tough way to live. It's a very difficult way to live. And, and in so many ways that, that I know that he is far better off today than he was here. He, he has a, a much better way of life than then. And... and we have to get past this this fear of tomorrow, and we have to in, to embrace the day. No matter what's going on in my life, I need to embrace that day, and I need to thank God for the good things that happen in any given day. I can be thankful for my friends. I can I go to the gym largely because I see people that I love, and, and then I, I I get a chance to work out and get a chance to talk and and hang out and have a blast, and and that's kind of the way it is. And so, find a way of escaping your head. Find a way to get outside of that and find something to enjoy today, whether that's getting out walking in the woods or whatever, because problems can go away in the woods, but or they can be carried into the woods and you can leave them there in prayer. So the goal then is to trust God in all things, to believe that he is trustworthy and that he's able and those are the important things, I think, the important theological things that Jesus is teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount is to practice your religion, practice your devotion to God in these ways. And one of the ways to practice your devotion to him is to exercise your faith in him by not allowing yourself to be consumed by worry and anxiety. And, and it's important to cast all those things on the only one who's able to meet those things, who is also the lover of your soul, the one who wants you to be with him throughout all eternity, so much so that he sent his son to die on the cross in order that you would be with him throughout all eternity. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.